Raw Truth, Stories of Female Infidelity may contain explicit and questionable content. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcaster and are not based on the advice of a licensed psychologist, therapist, or a psychiatrist. Listener discretion is strongly recommended. What does ponder actually mean? Well, according to one dictionary, it means to weigh in the mind to think about and reflect on. On our Let's Ponder episodes that are shared on the Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity podcast, we discuss taboo and questionable subject matter. For example, size. Does it really matter? Or do you really want to know the number of partners your significant other has been with? How about being in a sexless marriage? These and other topics are what we talk about on Let's Ponder. Hello and welcome to Let's Ponder on Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity. This is Rebecca. Hope your week has been going well. Today we're going to talk about stalking. Have you ever been stalked before? Have you ever done the stalking yourself? I've been doing some research on this for a while and I've had some great feedback. I'm going to read you some little short stories from people who felt comfortable sharing about what happened. And then I'm going to end with a longer story who is actually a personal friend of mine. She's actually talked about what happened for quite a while. And finally, I was able just to go over to her house and we talked more about it. And I learned a lot about her story, even more. So we're going to share that at the end. A couple of housekeeping. I want to say thank you to Everybody who put on some reviews for me on Apple, I know I ask for it. It does allow other people to find me easier if I have ratings and reviews. And they were, for the most part, excellent. And I thank you for that. I did get a three star where somebody said I babbled and talked. Well, they said I talked too much. Just get to the story. I want that person to know I hear you. Sometimes I talk more. Sometimes I talk less. It just kind of depends on what's going on. So, but I wanted you to know that I do hear what you're saying. Um, Also, before we get started with today's, I am still looking for a couple more uh, emails in regards to the three ways gone sideways, meaning if you brought an extra person into the bedroom and things kind of, you kind of regret doing that because something not so great happened after you entertained that or fighting over sex. Um, your experience. I've been getting a lot from social media posts. But to have somebody actually send in and talk about, you know, fighting over sex, what is the cause of it? What do you think is the cause of it? Do you feel like you want to cheat because of that? Uh, And, you know, maybe you found a resolution. What was that resolution? Those types of things. So shoot those my way. And I'm working on that for future Ponder episodes. Before I do get started with the stories that were sent in, I did want to read an article, and it's called The Psychology Behind Stalking. You know, what goes on typically? You know that there's got to be a psychology factor to that somewhere. Uh, Maybe if it was you that was doing the stalking, were you just so paranoid that this person was moving on without you and you wanted to make sure they didn't forget you or you were trying to do anything you could to stay in their life and it turns into something that kind of crosses a boundary for this person? 
you know, so understanding what it is that's going through a person's mind. So I found this article. Uh, again, it's called The Psychology Behind Stalking. It was on vice.com. And of course, I will have the link on my episode notes um, by Christina Rowe, R-O. And it was put out December 13th, 2018. So it says, it's comforting to believe that we can easily spot a stalker. But people who engage in stalking actually want far more widely than you'd expect. Unfollow Me is a campaign highlighting the underreported issue of stalking and domestic abuse and amplifying the voices of victims and survivors. In the UK, we have partnered with anti-stalking charity Paladin Calls to introduce a stalker's registry. And then it has a link for you to follow their coverage. It's comforting to believe that we can easily spot a stalker. They're skeezy, crazed strangers in trench coats who do obviously disturbing things like follow women home and track down their personal details, right? Actually, people who exhibit the obsessive behavior associated with stalking, including following someone, sending unwanted gifts or communication, and staking out at someone's home or work very much more widely than cultural tropes portray. Partially because of misleading stereotypes, Gary Walker, whose name has been changed, didn't admit to himself that he was a stalker until an ex-girlfriend used that word about him. Only then did the 25-year-old realize that things he'd done in their relationship and others, like calling excessively when it was clearly unwanted and contacting his girlfriend's family, were obsessive. Quote, The thing about this obsessive behavior is it's equivalent to a panic attack. It's an existential crisis. Walker says of moments when he's fixating on someone who isn't reciprocating, quote, it feels like someone you love just died, end quote. According to Michelle Galliata, a clinician and psychology professor in City University of New York who focuses on therapeutic treatments for stalkers and other groups, quote, there's no such thing as a typical stalker, end quote. Galietta has worked with people ranging from high-functioning judge with borderline personality disorder to a person who silently stalked his victim for two years before attempting to kill her. Rather than a disorder in itself, stalking is a behavior that falls under the umbrella of symptoms for various disorders. According to a 2012 study published in the journal Aggression and Violent Behavior, motivations for stalking include a delusional belief in a romantic destiny, a desire to reclaim a prior relationship, a sadistic urge to torment the victim, or a psychotic over-identification with the victim and the desire to replace him or her. And stalkers can fall under a variety of diagnoses, including psychotic disorders, personality disorders, such as narcissistic personality disorder, and delusional disorders, such as erotomania, a belief that another person, often a prestigious person, is in love with you. Walker believes he has borderline personality disorder in addition to ADHD, although these haven't been diagnosed. He also considers himself to be a narcissist. According to Galietta's research, people with substance use disorders are often prone to stalking. One study that Galietta co-authored, which used a pool of 137 
stalking offenders on probation in New York City, found that about half had a substance use disorder and half had a personality disorder. Over a quarter, however, didn't have any sort of personality, substance use, or other mental disorder. Despite this variance, there are certain characteristics that pop up again and again among stalkers, according to research. For instance, in a 2014 survey published by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 80% of stalking survivors reported that they knew their stalker in some way. There's also some evidence that stalkers are often men in their 30s, and their targets are frequently women in their late teens and early 20s, although not always. Other studies have found that anger and insecurity, often stemming from childhood, are also common among stalkers, as is impulsiveness. Gallietta says she's also observed that stalkers generally have, quote, very narrow interests, very little leisure activity, variable other social interactions, so these tend to be their primary relationships, end quote. This has been true for Walker, quote, me, I had no idea what I was doing with my life, end quote, he says. Quote, socially and intellectually inept, no life experience, no guidance other than my critical mother. I had nothing going on and no friends. What was I left to do but obsess over this, end quote. Even someone with all of these predispositions, however, may never engage in stalking. Rather, stalking behavior is often triggered by a life event that's difficult to cope with, such as a breakup, firing, arrest, or rejection. Quote, During one of the breakups, I remember, it's painful to think about this, knocking on her dorm room door for at least for too long, end quote. Walker recalls about an ex-partner, quote, I felt creepy then, too, end quote. What's the difference between being stalked by an ex-partner versus by a stranger? Representations of unhealthy relationship dynamics in pop culture can blur our understanding of the difference between romantic persistence and threatening obsession. Rom-coms teach us that it's desirable for guys to, say, hire a private investigator to track us down, like in the movie There's Something About Mary. Blare music late at night outside our windows, from the movie Say Anything, and generally follow women until we finally agree to date. And I don't know if I can say this white, but it's like Sawaria sa, mm, and other Bollywood films. As the stalker at the center of Carolyn Kepnes' bestseller, You, says to justify himself, I have seen enough romantic comedies to know that romantic guys like me are always getting into jams, end quote. But in reality, stalking is a form of abuse, and current or former intimate partners are both the common type of stalker and often the most dangerous. An estimated 60.8% of women who responded to the 2014 CDC survey reported that they were currently or previously in a romantic relationship with their stalker. And research has shown that up to 80% of people in abusive relationships have been stalked within that relationship. Stalking of a former partner also tends to be more persistent. Most stalking stops after two to four weeks, but ex-partner stalking commonly lasts longer. Detective Inspector Lee Bernard, who runs the UK Stalking Threat Assessment Center, told Broadly earlier this year that ex-partner stalkers are, quote, potentially the most dangerous, end quote. 
One stalking study describes ex-partner stalkers as having, quote, easily bruised egos, flimsy interpersonal boundaries, smoldering rage and jealousy, and relentless tenacity, end quote. They also typically have intimate knowledge and, often, access to their victims' lives. Walker has only stalked partners and former partners. For him, these impulses, which might start with obsessive text messages, then grow, have been connected with anxiety and jealousy during or just after the end of a relationship. He also struggles with the beliefs he admits might be considered misogynistic, such as that women are inherently liars who can't be trusted, and he often believes that his former partners have been sending him mixed messages. For instance, when one ex didn't ask him to delete nude photos of her, he interpreted it as a sign that she didn't consider him dangerous, rather than a sign that she was avoiding further contact. Quote, she called me a stalker then, didn't treat me like one, end quote, he says. Troy McEwen, a clinical and forensic psychologist at Australia's Swinburne University of Technology, strikes a note of caution when considering the prevalence of ex-partner stalking, however. He tells broadly, quote, While ex-partner stalkers are responsible for more violence during stalking and form the single largest stalker group, they are not the majority of stalkers out there in the community, and stranger and acquaintance stalkers' behavior can be just as, if not more, persistence and damaging as that of former partners, even if it does not involve physical silence as in many cases. The other types of stalkers that McEwen is referring to include psychotic stalkers, like David Letterman's stalker, Margaret Mary Ray, who told people she was Letterman's wife and the mother of his child. Psychotic stalkers are disconnected from reality and can have detailed delusions about being in relationship with specific celebrities, strangers, colleagues, or acquaintances. Galietta gave the example of a man she treated who met a woman in a coffee shop, where they exchanged just a few words. Quote, the delusional thinking was, I knew that she wanted to talk to me even though she acted like she didn't, end quote. Galliott explains, quote, I saw her car parked on the left side of the street instead of the right side of the street. That's a special message to me, end quote. Galliott explains that these delusional stalkers often don't realize what they're doing is wrong, as they might be convinced that others are just failing to understand them. While their actions can be severely damaging and traumatic, they are less likely to be physically violent than other kinds of stalkers. For one thing, they're typically easier to spot than more insidious kinds of stalkers, as psychosis involves a break from reality and, often, unconventional behavior. What does therapy for a stalker look like? As most stalkers have limited interests, one therapeutic option is to just rebuild resilience. Connection to other things such as hobbies, says Galliata. Quote, we often see that there is this urge to contact someone, whether that is because of a psychotic belief or because of loneliness in someone or something like that. And then, once they make contact, that feeling goes away for a little while, and so that's a mechanism that reinforces it. So we want to break that. We want to teach them to recognize that, whatever that urge was early on, and get a commitment for them to try something different, end quote. This aspect of trying something different can be very hard for stalking perpetrators. 
McEwen's clients tend to be in intense emotional states, whether negative or positive, when they engage in individual acts of stalking. But the relief or hide that they get from the stalking dissipates quickly. Quote, for some reason, and we're only starting to work out why, someone who stalks returns to that same emotional state rather than being able to move on, McEwen explains. This means they need to keep managing their emotional state and they keep choosing socially inappropriate and potentially criminal strategies that involve intruding on the victim, end quote. Stalking treatment can be effective if very targeted, but generic treatment isn't likely to accomplish much given the diversity of stalking behaviors, says Gallietta. There's also limited understanding among psychologists, however, about how to make this treatment specific, she says, quote, very few therapists are going to think to put stalking as the treatment target. They're going to be like, how's things going? How are your relationships? They're not going to be, do you have an urge to call the person? What do you do when you have the urge? What skill do you use? End quote. In her view, getting into the details of stalking behaviors and compulsions is more useful to rehabilitation than general supportive treatment. This treatment also needs to be accessible and affordable, however. Walker says he finds himself tormented by his own urge to connect. He's diagnosed himself with personality and other disorders without getting professional help. He says, quote, I have no one. And no, I'm not really into getting help. I couldn't afford that. And finding alternatives just leads me to get frustrated about how convoluted I feel life is. And for all the shit I need to do, like start exercising and actively improving my attitude, I still need people, end quote. If you are being stalked, you can call the Stalking Resource Center at the National Center for Victims of Crime at 855 484 I felt that was amazing, and uh, it shares a lot about the statistics and that it is usually somebody you know, and I think most of us kind of get that sense anyways, but I felt this was good. It was a good resource as well with that phone number if you feel like you are being stalked and you don't know what to do. And in the story that I'll share at the very end, she talks about how she didn't report it to the police because she was embarrassed and scared. And so there's lots of situations like that where women may not have the courage to speak out. All right. So these first two are also from a friend of mine, from a guy. And this is what he had to say. And these were two separate incidences. First one is, we began flirting via instant messenger. I told her she could come over and when she got there, she and I would take a shot of tequila when she walked in the door. She came over, we did, we laughed. We had another shot or two. In the end, no sex, but she was dehydrated and remembered the night. We messed around quite a bit though. Next thing I know, she bombarded me with requests. I ignored her and in time she stopped and she became more friendly. All is well now. She is a nice person. I think she just liked what we did and wanted more, but I told her it was just one moment to share and we'll see. No promises. It's not that I did not want her to be the one, but I just did not want to promise that if she liked me that I would like her forever. 
I hate the idea that if a girl likes me, that I hurt them, if I don't like them back right away, forever. I need time to sort it all out. Next one. She and I chatted a bit on Facebook, of course. You can meet a lot of people that way, and I have some great friends from that. We met each other way back when, but honestly, I'm not sure either of us really remembered that. Simply, we chatted. We liked each other. One night, she asked me if I felt lucky. LOL. She was in the mood for me. She came over. Her kisses were magic. I love what a kiss can convey. I suppose we had sex within a month or so. We connected well. That physical, emotional connection was great. Until I was not ready to commit to forever. She kept texting me and saying how wonderful we were together. She'd call and text. Come to my house when I was at work and sit on my back porch. Show up unannounced and come through my back door. I guess she felt safe at my house. But I was concerned for my personal safety because she had a gun. And she did say if she could not have me, she'd shoot herself. She was distraught, to say the least. If she could not have me, she wanted to die. I put up security cameras and alerted my neighbor about what was going on. When I broke up with her, she played the part to try and shoot herself in the head on my back patio. I went back there to check on her, and she had her gun out and was loading around in the chamber. I took the gun. She left. It seems stupid to get wrapped up into a rebound relationship after my recent separation from my marriage. Everyone said so. I agree. As nutty as she is, I still love her. But I also love my ex-wife, ex-fiance, etc. I guess she felt I gave her something she could not live without. Another told me, quote, I would have given you anything, end quote, for you to be with me. I guess nice guys that are physical are hard to come by. I'm not sure what's up with that. It's not sex. It's perceived spiritual connection. Ultimately, she sold her house and moved to New Mexico. Every once in a while, we say hi. Very little communication. Truth be told, I do miss her a bit. She is a neat person minus the whole gun suicide thing. And I, this, I remember when this happened. I'm actually this person's neighbor. And we were being quite aware or we were just really keeping tabs on what was gone over there and checking in with him quite a bit because we knew she was at a very fragile state and we didn't want to have anything happen so thankfully everything kind of blew over and he actually is an interesting person because he never has sex with these women he has many women and they screw around and do all sorts of things, but there's never sexual intercourse, vaginal intercourse, I guess you could say. And I am working with him hopefully here before I move to get his story as to why he doesn't go all the way with these women. So that'll be hopefully something that I can nail him down to um, get from him. So moving on. I had worked with the same woman for about five years. We would talk off and on like normal co-workers. She started showing up late and not doing a good job getting her several warnings. I wasn't her boss or anything like that. She was finally let go after about a year of this stuff. Once she was fired, she started calling me on my work phone. 
I answered it for the first time due to the call being a private call, and we talked for a few minutes. I told her I was sorry she lost her job and that kind of stuff. After that, the calls started coming often. I stopped answering private calls. Then the voicemail started, day after day. I started noticing her car across the street from our office. Then, one Sunday, she showed up at the church I go to. That same week went out to eat, she was there. It was always in a public space. I finally decided to contact the police and they didn't do anything. This went on for about six months. I never found out why me. She eventually did get arrested and the only reason they took her in was because I had said that I was in fear of my safety and that I had prior police reports. My mom dealt with domestic violence and the cops always said they couldn't do anything unless you feared for your life or safety. That came in handy. So my next one is a local DJ in the Portland metro area. He is super kind. He's very genuine. He's very wears his heart on his sleeve kind of a guy. Um, And I actually met him back in the mid-90s and recently caught up with him on Facebook. Um, He has a couple of stalking situations that he shared. The first one is, I once knew a girl who broke into the radio station at night and found my desk in the office. She threw everything on the floor. It was a mess. I should have called the police, but I didn't. (laughs) And the other one was, I was working for a radio station in Portland. I met a girl on the request line, talked to her for a while. She then started showing up at every event that I did. It was kind of uncomfortable. One day, I walked in the front door, and there she was in the lobby. She had been waiting on me for the entire afternoon. Yikes. This went on for months. I had to tell her that she couldn't come by anymore. She was very upset. He really didn't um, give a whole bunch of detail. He just said, you know, it stopped and things like that. But I appreciate him sharing what he did. Okay, so now we're going to move on to this one. And this is a little long um, compared to these other ones. So we'll get rolling on this because this episode is going to be a little longer than normal and longer than I prefer. (laughs) So this is from a woman. This is from one of my best friends. And this all happened before I met her for the most part. Okay, I met a guy on a dating site called Plenty of Fish. We met up at a restaurant nearby central to both of our houses and we got along pretty well and decided we were gonna go out again, which we did. After about four dates, I noticed things becoming really weird. For instance, he wouldn't show up when he said he was going to or he wouldn't text back or call back when I was trying to contact him. I kind of chalked it up to perhaps he was working, thinking maybe he was just busy doing something else. As time went on, the crazy weirdest suspicions I had were getting worse to the point that I didn't want him to know where I lived. My mother pressured me because she wanted to meet him, and so she insisted I invite him to dinner. I waited for a while, but then I did. It was around Christmas time and he showed up for dinner at my house and of course my mother came as well. It was a weird and awkward event. He was sitting next to my mom and he just started laughing. I was like, what the heck? Nobody knew what he was laughing at. He came over to me and whispered in my ear that he farted next to my mom. I was like, okay, you're a child. 
I thought that was disgusting and rude, and not funny at all. In fact, I was put off by it. After that day, he decided he would just casually come by after work on his way home. He would get there, sit down, not say much of anything. A half hour or so would go by and he would say, okay, I gotta go, and then leave. I didn't understand what he was doing. He texted me one time and told me that he felt that I was it, and that I was good to go now, and that I should go ahead and cancel my Plenty of Fish account. And I responded, okay, and you're going to cancel yours? He said, yeah. But then a week or two went by, and I logged on and saw that he was still active. I asked him about it, and he said he just didn't know how to cancel it. Well, okay, I thought, that's just really peculiar. One time he asked me to go to the beach for the weekend. Well, I needed to get my kids taken care of so I could go with him and we'd take the dogs. I actually had to take the day off on Saturday and my mom agreed to watch the kids. That Friday afternoon, I didn't hear from him. I was wondering what's going on. Are we going? Like, hello, what's the plan? Nothing. No text back, no call back. Around midnight, I was still trying to reach him, texting and calling, saying I hadn't heard from him. Hello? Still nothing. Complete silence from him. The next morning, when we were supposed to leave, I texted him at about 8 in the morning. Nothing. Saturday all day long? Nothing. Sunday? Nothing. And at this point, I had had it. Whatever, screw this guy, I am done. So... That next Wednesday or so, and I remember this clearly, I was walking into the park and I was just kind of getting my frustrations out and thinking about what had happened and how I was done with this guy. He is a total joke. Then he texts me and he's like, hey, what are you doing? As if nothing happened. I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? Where the hell have you been? He's asking what? I said, we were supposed to go to the beach. He said, no, no, we weren't. I was with my friend Darren or whoever he named in Seattle all weekend. I didn't plan the beach with you. I told him, you clearly asked me to go to the beach with you. Clearly asked me for last Saturday. I did all of this and I heard nothing back from you. Why didn't you just answer me and tell me that we weren't going or something changed? His excuse was that he had his phone in his truck and it was dead or something. I told him that was bullshit. You did not have your phone off and off of you all damn weekend, all the way to Wednesday. He responded, yeah, yeah, I had it in the truck all weekend. I didn't have my phone on me. I was like, whatever. So I stopped talking to him. He would continue and continue to call and text me with, please answer. Just please answer one time. He kind of broke me down because he wanted another try. I caved and said, okay, but that I was still really suspicious of him and all of this is weird. He said he was sorry and asked to just try again. Fine. Okay. We went out to dinner and things were fine that night. But the next time we went out to dinner, things were odd. He started using strange verbiage. For instance, all movies. If we talked about going to watch a movie or referred to a movie, he would call them all pornos. 
I am thinking, what in the hell are you even talking about? He even walked into my house one time and I had a huge collection of DVDs, probably close to a thousand movies, and they covered the whole wall. And he said, oh, nice porno collection. What the fuck? I was like, what are you talking about? I don't have any pornos. And he's like, yeah, right there. And he was laughing like it was his own fucking personal joke. I said, no, it's not funny. And then he just kept talking like this. Later, he told me his ex-wife was coming to town and was planning to stay at his house and asked if he could stay with me for that week because he didn't want to be there with her. Okay, I guess so. So, he came one night and stayed and I had done his laundry for the next day. The next day, he said that on his way home after work, he was going to his house to grab his pillow, that he forgot it. I asked, what do you mean you don't have a pillow? You have a pillow here. He said he needed another pillow and I was like, okay, weird. But he ended up stopping by my house anyway. I was somewhere else, not there, and he called me and said that he had stopped by the house and I wasn't there. I said I thought you were going to your house, so I left to do some errands. He said he had to leave again and go leave a check for his daughter. She lived with him. About 10 minutes later, I got another call from him, but all I hear is wrestling and ruffling sounds. I figured he just butt-dialed me. When I got back home, I saw that he had come over and picked up all his stuff and left without telling me that he wasn't coming back. He never brought it up. It was like weird and like whatever. Just be gone. Peace you. I stopped answering him. I'm like, I'm done with you. Just go find your way. I'll find my way. We're done. He came right over and he was saying, I love you and started banging on the door. I said, no, we are done. Just go away. I'm going to call the cops if you don't leave. And he still wouldn't leave. He eventually did after a while, but then the next day he came back by. I had my security camera on my door, and I saw him sitting on my front porch in a chair for a long time. But I was at work. I wasn't there. He was creeping me out. But the next night, or relatively soon after that, I was sleeping. My kids were sleeping in their bed, and it was probably about four in the morning, and I woke up to this guy standing over me and grabbing the covers and trying to put his arm under the covers, down in my private area. I said, stop. I did not expect anyone in my house other than myself and my kids, and he said, oh, he was just stopping by to say hi on his way to work. I asked how he got in my house, and he said through the garage. And I think he said the garage doors were open, and I normally check that everything's locked before I go to bed, but you never know with teenagers. I don't know if it was really open or if he had watched me put the code in, but I changed that code immediately. I told my kids to not give it out to anybody ever. Then he started calling and texting me constantly. I just wanted him to go away. I told him we are done. Figure your own shit out. Oh, and prior to all of this, he kept talking about his ex constantly. I got tired of that too. One time he said, you know, she doesn't have a pot to piss in and that he had always taken care of her. I thought, okay, well, it's over now, so don't worry about it. But he kept talking about it. He said that he stopped by her house one day and left a $100 bill on her car under the windshield wipers. 
He said he pulled far away and watched her take it. He then contacted her via text about it, and she denied that she had found it, and he said bullshit. I saw you take it from the windshield, just playing weird-ass mind games with her. Anyway, he kept texting and calling, and finally I just told him that I had met somebody else, but he still would not stop texting me. He would not stop calling me. It was 24-7. I had to block him, and this was actually during the time when iPhones wouldn't let you block iMessages just calls. So all night long, I remember constantly he was texting and texting and texting. It was exhausting. That went on for days, but then he started to drive past my house. He drove a big truck with big wheels, you know, where they're lifted up high. At the time, I lived in a corner house, so he kept driving past my house on the way to work and on the way home, and sometimes even more than that. It was obnoxious, and because his truck was so tall, he could look right into my backyard and he could see if we were swimming in the pool or jumping on the trampoline. I just told him to quit, just stop. I remember when I was out on a date with someone new and we went bike riding. This creep would show up and park close to our cars just to watch us as we went to go get in our own cars. I don't know if this one was a coincidence or if he actually followed me, but I went to the store and he parked behind me blocking my car. I couldn't leave. He would want to talk and insist on talking, and so I had to actually pretend, ha ha hi, basically entertain his bullshit so I could get out of there safely. It seems it's about every six months or so he comes back around. It's now been eight years, and he would still message me out of the blue. I finally got a new phone number. I changed everything. I moved. Yet he found out where I moved to and he would park his truck across from my house and just sit and stare at my house for hours. I called the cops and they couldn't do anything. That it was a public road. There was another time after I had become serious with the guy I had started dating from earlier in my story. This crazy man got into my house. I was home and I was in my room. He found me in the bedroom, and he was getting up in my face and pushing me on the bed. He was attempting to rape me. Thankfully, we heard a door slam in the house as he was trying to penetrate me. I said, somebody's here and you need to leave, and he did. I confronted him later about the rape attempt. He said he didn't and that I wanted it. I was not fucking willing. I should have called the cops then, and really, I should have called the cops so many times. I remember when I did call the cops that one time, they seemed to not be able to do anything. I was nervous and scared to tell them that he tried to rape me. I didn't want the embarrassment. That was the main thing. I was scared that the victim-predator thing would be turned around by him, and he would make it look like it was my fault and that I did something wrong. Anyway, I had blocked him on everything and he had continued to try and contact me using other people's messenger or fake ones. It was late at night and my husband was at work and a messaging video was calling and I was wondering who it was because I didn't know the name. Come to find out it was him. No, I am not interested. My husband and I ran into him last winter at a pub and grill and I was like, oh my God, there he is. I was so afraid that he was going to jump in his truck and follow us. 
He had disappeared right before we left, so I thought he's in his vehicle somewhere watching where we are going to follow and see where we lived. I was paranoid, and my husband said, you know, I will take care of it or whatever, but this is crazy. Of course, I didn't want a confrontation between the two guys because you never know what's going to happen. And obviously, the other guy is psycho. I remember he would always say things such as, my wife called the cops on me because of domestic violence, and she's a bitch. And how he hated her to this day. How he resented her. And I felt if he had that resentment with me, he'd never go away because he would always try to get back at me somewhere or somehow. That may be something in my own mind, my own worries. The last time he contacted me, he said there was a spark when I saw him at that grill and pub that night with my husband. No way. I had not been thinking about this dude and then he popped out out of nowhere. When I saw him, I literally had my face into my husband's chest. I was thinking, God, no, just please don't let him come near. Don't let him talk to me. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to cause a scene. I don't want to embarrass myself. I mean, I didn't want anything. Yeah, right, he said. There's a spark. I know there was a spark. I saw it. There's a spark between us. I told my husband about it. I was so tired of holding it all in. But understand now that the more people you have in your corner, the more they can protect you. Can you imagine living with that? That is scary. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners have been in situations like this. Um, after we got this story written out and everything, um, I was talking to her and her birthday was actually last week. And guess what? He contacted her. He used a different name on Messenger, whether it was somebody else's or another fake account. And I asked her what she did, and she said she just didn't reply to him. So this dude is not going away. He is absolutely not going away. And she's in a place in an environment where her husband is a really good protector, and I know she'll be taken care of. But to have somebody be, when you're alone, she's actually was a widow at this time when this was all taking place. So she has her mom who lives in town and here she was a young mother with two children. That's vulnerable as it is. And then to have this big, huge, creepy guy like that, who won't get a clue, who won't go away. So I'm glad that she is okay and she is safe now. But I really wanted to share this with you guys because this is a true stalking story. This is Red Flag City. And she overlooked so many of them and thought, okay, well, na 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 na. But now in hindsight, she's like, no, I should never, ever have gone uh, back with him after the first time. She's like, you're out of here. I'm done. On Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity, I share stories of women who have been unfaithful to their spouse or partner. I give them a safe space to be able to explain what happened and why they chose the direction of infidelity. I also feel it is just as important to understand what the betrayed husband or partner faced when they uncovered the truth. The affirmations he was giving her swept her away. He was young, good-looking, and interested in her. She took the bait. He would come over first for the coffee, then a beer for him and wine for her, until he felt so comfortable that he went in for a kiss. 
They slept together the first time that day. The rest of the story here was confessed over many days and hours of interrogation. She swore to herself that this was a one-time thing and she would take it to her grave. I probably could have lived with a one-time mistake, but that's not what happened. He started coming around every day and every day they would have unprotected sex in our bed. He had her doing anal sex, which we never did as she didn't like it. He made good on his boast that he could get the housewives to do anything he wanted and that they had more anal sex in a few weeks than we had in 25 years of our marriage. To hear bonus stories of the men's discovery of female infidelity in their relationship and have early access to regular episodes ad-free, subscribe to my Patreon by visiting my website, rawtruthstoriesoffemaleinfidelity.com. Subscription pledges start as low as $3 a month. Thank you for listening to Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity. Your support of the podcast is truly appreciated. Be sure to visit my website at rawtruthstoriesoffemaleinfidelity.com. There, you will find story guides to help form your story, where you can subscribe to Patreon, and an opportunity to vote for the podcast to be in the Hot 50 Countdown for Podcast Magazine. To submit your story, share feedback about the show, or if you have a Let's Ponder suggestion, please email it to rebecca.rawtruth at gmail.com or mail to Rebecca Adams, P.O. Box 821064, Vancouver, Washington, 98682. Each story is taken into careful consideration, read without judgment, and always anonymous. Raw Truth Stories of Female Infidelity is written, produced, and edited by me, Rebecca Adams. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Be kind to one another, be kind to yourself, and always remember, no judgment. Goodbye. Goodbye.